Welcome to The Pharmacy Benefit, a podcast that highlights the role of PBMs in serving millions of patients and consumers throughout the country. I'm J.C. Scott. For those who have joined us before for an episode of The Pharmacy Benefit, you know that we use our time together to drive a better understanding of some of the biggest healthcare issues of the day, especially those related to access to prescription drugs, affordability, and improving value for patients. We aim to break down the acronyms and help get to the real meaning of healthcare topics. And that's what we're hoping to do today by discussing an issue that gets talked about quite a bit on Capitol Hill and at CMS, a value-based tool known as Pharmacy DIR. Now, most people don't know what Pharmacy DIR is or how it helps Medicare beneficiaries. So today I'm joined by a guest who's going to help us understand it. Dr. William Fleming is a pharmacist trained at the University of Kentucky College of Pharmacy, who currently serves as the segment president, Pharmacy Solutions, and Chief Corporate Affairs Officer at Humana. William is also currently serving as chairman of the board here at PCMA. William, welcome to the Pharmacy Benefit. JC, thanks for having me. So let's just start with the real basics. What is Pharmacy DIR? Well, put simply, JC, it's it's a value-based contract. Uh, when we set up our pharmacy networks, one of the things that we've taken into account is how we bring pharmacists into that care continuum so that they can engage in a way that will improve health, improve quality. Pharmacy DIR, which is also known as direct and indirect remuneration, which is you know, a, a technical term in this CMS vernacular, is the, is the true mechanism by the way we do that. How it ultimately works is, is the way that we enter our contracts with pharmacies. We, we include upside and downside incentives around pharmacy performance. Performance is typically linked to things like medication adherence for patients who have chronic conditions, as well as uh, making sure patients are on certain treatments if they have certain, certain conditions like statins in people with diabetes. Uh, from there, any of the savings that are generated through these value-based contracts are, are reinvested in the Medicare Part D uh, benefit through this DIR mechanism. And the DIR mechanism serves to lower the premium side of what a member pays in their Part D benefit, whether it's PDP and the standalone PDP product or the more integrated Medicare Advantage with Part D uh, benefit. So you're right. The the full name is quite a mouthful. If instead of using the acronym, what what should we be calling this? Should we be saying value based contracting with pharmacies? JC, I I really do think of it as as value based contracting. Certainly, it's got this technical term of DIR, but uh, it truly is value based contracting. And and really, it's the pharmacy side of what already happens on the medical side. And the medical side. We have a whole realm of value-based contracts with providers where they have upside and downside incentives to really improve quality outcomes and, and candidly engage differently with that patient population. For this pharmacy DIR, it, it really is a value-based contract. It's our opportunity, we believe, to engage differently uh, with the pharmacist community that gives them the incentives and the behavior change that that inspires them, hopefully, to uh, do things around medication adherence and do things around um, making sure people avoid adverse events or that they that they can engage as, as appropriate. You know, on the medical side, for example, at Humana, 67% of our uh, Medicare Advantage members seek care from primary care physicians who are practicing in a value-based way. When I think about the drug manufacturers, we have value-based contracts there 
where we've got over 50 value-based initiatives trying to hold the manufacturers accountable and frankly, the medication for doing what it's intended to do. This value-based contract in pharmacy is another part of that supply chain that um, where we really want to try to genuinely improve health outcomes for the people we serve. And I want to spend a minute talking about how it does improve those outcomes and what you've seen in real world experience, but just sticking with the mechanics for a second. Let's say I'm JC's independent pharmacy. You know, I often go down the street here in Arlington to a place on Lee Highway, an independent pharmacy for in the last two years, getting my COVID testing done because they've been the ones that have had appointments. So, right, they're playing an important role in the community. Let's say my pharmacy wants to be a part of the Humana network. Walk me through how what happens. Like, how am I negotiating with you on a contract? What does that look like? Help, help me understand the, the mechanical aspects of this. We engage with the pharmacies. We have over 60,000 in our network. So there's less pharmacies that aren't in our network than, than, than are because we've got a lot of pharmacies in the network. But the, the mechanics would be to engage in, in you know, trying to provide this clinical upside. And if you're willing to do that, we are going to have a more aggressive contract on the front end um, because, you know, we've got to we got to have a supply network. We've got to su- be able to uh, make you know, cost affordable for the people we serve. But importantly, we know that pharmacists want to do good things. And the act of putting pills in bottle, um, you could argue that is becoming a commodity of sorts now that we have 90 percent generic dispense rates. And so the opportunity to earn money back and actually make more than you otherwise would is the true upside around this. And the ability to use your clinical engagement and drive it in that way is really what we're going after. And so this does give the pharmacies the ability to engage with us, to review those contracts, and to see if they're they're willing to step into how they want to operate their pharmacy practice. It starts with a contract, so they got to negotiate with us to, to get that in place. But, the, but once they do, then it's really on the pharmacies to, to adjust their practice to deliver these important uh, quality metrics that, uh, that they can use. So the way it's supposed to work is you're talking to them up front about the terms. I'll just choose one in particular, right? Let's say how well they do on keeping patients adherent to their drugs, meaning keeping people sticking with taking their medications, which involves communicating with the patient, counseling the patient, all the things that a pharmacist might do. And if they hit certain metrics on adherence, helping patients, then they have the opportunity for that that financial upside, and they also bear the risk of financial downside if they're really doing a poor job. That's exactly it. And and they are able to see their data through the pharmacy quality systems infrastructure. We have a third party who's really, you know, the, the source of truth for what the data says, and, and we report our data into it. And the pharmacists actually have a portal they can go into, and they can see how they're performing uh, for themselves, they can also see how they're comparing against their uh, like peers in their local area. So you're providing them with tools to keep up with how things are going so that in a perfect world, they're not surprised uh, when you come back to talk to them about performance. Listen, there would be nothing worse than to not know how I'm performing and whether I am, in fact, performing at my peer level and having that data and having access to it. If you just use a tool, you can see whether you're doing a good job or not relative to the, your, your peers in market. So historically, how, how, how well has this worked? Like, what are you seeing in terms of the benefits for patients, for Medicare beneficiaries in the real world now that you've been using this tool? Well, I, you know, JC, it's a good question. We, we have seen medication adherence improve dramatically. And, and today we're, we're approaching the high 80% range of absolute number in terms of P 
people have access to their medication uh, on time. That number oh, since 2015 has gone up probably at least, it depends on the disease, but at least 7% in some diseases and as high as you know, 10 to 11% in others. And so like absolute points. And so, you know, see, seeing that work and seeing how it showed itself is, it does demonstrate that if we get the right incentives in place, we get people thinking about it and we get them to really adjust their practices. They can do good things for the, for the population. So not to get too deep into the weeds, William, but there is a new rule that came out of CMS not too long ago uh, that proposes to make some changes to the way that, that pharmacy DIR, work, DIR works in, in Medicare. Could you just at a really high level tell me why you're concerned about the type of change that's under consideration? Well, we fundamentally believe in the value of this value-based contract. And we believe that if, if the change goes through as is, you know, we could in theory still do uh, a contract, but it would only be upside. And we've seen enough of the other value-based contracts that have happened on the medical side and others that if all you have is upside and there's no downside, you don't get that engagement. And it's, it's going to be a, a fundamental challenge. But more importantly, and equally as important, is these dollars and how it's being proposed will serve to raise member premium. Members' premiums will, will go up. Secondly is, you know, when you think about all of the contracting, you mentioned contracting earlier, the, the payer community and PBM community, they're going to have to go out and recontract all those pharmacies, you know, with a new model. And, and lastly, I would just say that within that new model, it's going to be challenging at best to get to get the level of of quality improvement that we've seen when all you have is upside incentives. There is countless demonstrations of a lot of these value based things in the provider community where on the upside, it's incremental at best. And you won't be talking about 10 point improvements over just a few short years like we've seen in this program. So concerned that you might be limited in the way you can use this to help patients on the quality side and concerned about the financial impact, because I think what CMS themselves has projected is that there be at least a 5% increase in Medicare premiums. And we all know seniors on fixed incomes already dealing with inflation and other areas of the economy. It's not a great time for that kind of an increase in premiums. That's exactly right. Cause you know, premiums will go up and, and there's, there's no guarantee that these dollars will, in fact, make it a point of service through that, through that negotiation that we will all have to have with the pharmacies themselves. Last question for you, William. Obviously, pharmacies play an incredibly critical role helping patients to get access to their prescription drugs. They've been on the front line during the pandemic. But as you pointed out a minute ago, there are external factors and evolution within that business model. And you've been around the pharmacy game for a number of years. What do you see as the future of pharmacy and how can retail pharmacies sort of best position themselves to deliver value in that future? Boy, that, that's a whole podcast to itself, but, uh, you know, at, at a, just a macro level and quick, quick couple of thoughts on this, I, you know, the pharmacy, as I think about the pharmacies themselves, they've got a lot of dynamics that are different today than they were 10 years ago and certainly 20 years ago. I mean, who would have thought today that, that we would see 90% generic dispense rates. Who would have thought today there would be, you know, the upside around some of these opportunities around, you know, value-based contracts, medication therapy management, adverse events, and just the clinical in in innovations that, that we can bring forward. Yeah, as I think about the pharmacies, I think they do have a challenge um, just in their in the business model. 90% of the work, that's the generics, represents 20 to $25 of revenue. And so as I think about the future, 
that's a challenging proposition to do all the things they do, make the, the waves they want to make, pay the pharmacist still making a hundred plus thousand dollars a year or what they want to be paid and do that off the work of generic drugs. And so as I think about the future, pharmacists are going to have to engage in value. They're going to have to engage in clinical programs. They're going to have to be much, much more than pills and bottles. It's time for the pharmacist community to really demonstrate that the opportunity is there. Several are showing up, but broadly, we're going to need to see more of it, I think, for the pharmacy community to thrive in the way that it's you know, thrived in the past. And, and I, I just the, the combination of you know, uh, clinical programs, the combination of embracing these types of value based programs, the combination of deeper clinical engagement, I think that's where their business model is going to have to come forward around. And it sounds like. PBMs, through the use of these value-based arrangements and other interactions with the pharmacies, want to help pharmacies to make that evolution. That's exactly right. I, we have every incentive to want to do this work because as much of the, of the work that is now being integrated, pharmacy is part of the supply chain. It's not the only part of the supply chain, but it's an important part. You don't have refills on MRIs. You don't have refills on CAT scans, but you do have refills on your meds. And we got to make sure people are adherent. We got to make sure we're avoiding the events. We got to do all the right clinical quality things. If we do those things, that delivers value back into the system, and then the pharmacies can get paid for it. And that's that's the models that we're trying to bring forward, and that this whole DIR thing, as we've talked about, really tries to uh, to illuminate. William, thanks so much for a great conversation and helping our listeners and me better understand a complicated topic. I appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for the time, JC. And thank you to all of you for listening. I encourage you to subscribe to The Pharmacy Benefit and download all of our podcast episodes. You can do that on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. I'm JC Scott. Thanks for joining me.